0: I'm Ava Hartling, welcome to The Brennis Female, a podcast where powerful women share their journey to unlocking their own potential. This week, my guest is Sabrina Maddow, a Toronto-based journalist who specializes in fashion, beauty and more. Sabrina is currently the society editor and arts and style columnist for the National Post and she contributes to a number of other publications, in addition to being a style and beauty expert on the air for shows such as City Line and more. Sabrina has carved her own path in the current challenging media landscape and she's managed to come out ahead. Here is our conversation. Sabrina, it's such a pleasure to have you on The Brightest Female. Thanks for coming out this morning on our lovely, uh, you know, it looks like a <laughs> Christmas morning, which is a nice way of putting it. I'm <laughs> yeah. glad
1: to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: And before we talk about current projects and what you're up to, um, as I always do in these interviews, I want to go back to the beginning, to young Sabrina growing up. What did you think you would do later in life? What kind of career were you envisioning for yourself? And did you already know you would be a journalist, and editor um, at some point?
1: I was always a very strong writer and I loved writing. However, when I was a child, I didn't really think being a professional writer or journalist would be a very viable career, which maybe I had some foresight there. Uh, so I always thought I wanted to go into law. And oh. when I was a really young child, I actually thought I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. I would love like, that. Most six-year-olds want to be, I don't know, princesses or teachers I or bet. firefighters. I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. <laughs> so I was a bit strange. Uh, And then fast forward a bunch of years. uh, I went through all the law school applications, got in, and I graduated right in the middle of the most recent recession. Okay. And I had gone to school in the States, so I was Mm going to have to go into a lot of debt to get my law education. Right. And I was feeling a bit, oh, I don't know. A lot of lawyers were being let go, like, even if they'd graduated from top law schools. And uh, I took a one-year deferral. I came back to Toronto and I started interning at Chatelaine magazine and mm. then I started doing some freelance writing and I never went back so
0: here I am and that interest in working for Chatelaine for a magazine was that because you knew you enjoyed writing and that seemed like the obvious choice
1: yeah I knew I enjoyed writing um, it was really just following a passion mm. and something that I thought was a dream career to the point that I thought it might be unattainable. Right. It slowly came into shape and I feel incredibly lucky mm-hmm. to have been able to make something that I love into my job every single day. Was there
0: someone who inspired you who you looked up to at that time and maybe in that field that kind of gave you the idea to keep going in the field of writing and journalism?
1: Hmm. I'm not sure that there's one single person but I've always read a lot and definitely mm-hmm. looking up to strong female writers, mm-hmm. especially ones who worked in fields like arts and culture and fashion mm-hmm. and took those fields very seriously. I found, starting early on and even now, that a lot of um, fields that are associated with women, such as fashion or beauty, are often covered very superficially. Yes, uh, And I've always felt very passionate that those should be taken as seriously as politics or sports, I mean you look at a sports section and it's treated like these numbers and math and yep. stats and it's so seriously analysis and I think that women's interest should be covered the same way right. so I gravitated towards uh, reading other writers who treated subjects in that manner mm-hmm. and tried to uh, follow in their footsteps.
0: And tell me about uh, the people who kind of mentored you or gave you a chance, because mm-hmm. in writing, it's pretty—it's very much about you know catching the attention of a senior editor or an editor in chief at a publication and making sure they give you work. Basically, how did you find that process? And did somebody, you know, were there a number of people who championed you along the way?
1: Absolutely, like you said, it's so important in the journalism field. Um... For better or worse, a lot of it is about who you know and the relationships you make.
0: Uh,
1: The man that I interned for at Chatelaine, he was their director of celebrity relations at the time, which meant that he procured their celebrities for their covers and did those negotiations, and he was out at a lot of events around town. His name is PJ Teresuk, and he was wonderful in that he always took me with him to these events, so it afforded me the opportunity to meet a lot of people in the field at a very young age, at a very uh, early point in my career that I otherwise probably would not have been exposed to Mm -hmm. until much later on. Um, And after him, I uh, freelanced for a bit, but the first online publication I landed at for a job was called The Toronto Standard, it no longer exists, Mm -hmm. and uh, there was another fashion writer in town, her name was Sarah Nicole Prickett. she was someone I looked up to because she took fashion very seriously and she wasn't afraid to be critical and look at it from just a very intelligent viewpoint Mm. and uh, she was one of the first editors to hire me on and when she eventually moved to New York she recommended me to take over her position great and that was really the start of a lot of things Mm. to come so having yeah those people champion me was very very important and early on the motto I followed was just be everywhere, meet everyone. So (laughs) try to go to as many events as possible, as Mm. many networking opportunities. And even if it doesn't come naturally, or you're not in the mood, or you just want to stay home in your sweatpants, Mm -hmm. I made myself get out there. And so many times the most unexpected conversation would lead to an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And had I not been out at that one thing and met that one person and had that one conversation, I might not have the career that I do today
0: right right so the networking definitely paid off
1: oh absolutely and it still does I think it's something that doesn't come naturally to a lot of writers yeah, uh, I think yes. by nature including myself I prefer to just sit beside behind my computer uh, but it's something you have to force yourself into doing mm. and I mean it's, it is a cliche but practice makes perfect and mm. you become more and more comfortable the more you do it hmm
0: I want to ask you about. So you've talked about how you were interested in covering fashion, you know, with a more uh, intelligent or kind of look at it in a in a more meaningful way. Um, how was that received? You've mentioned an, an editor of yours who shared the same point of view, mm-hmm. but is that something you find you've been able to do in your writing in in the topics you cover?
1: At the beginning, it wasn't received particularly well, to be honest. Uh, I think that people were very used to fashion being covered one way. I think in Mm. Toronto, being a particularly small city in those sorts of circles, uh, people can be very sensitive to Mm. criticism or to people who look at things in a different way. So at the beginning, um, I definitely felt that I was viewed a bit as an outsider, um, maybe as someone who was ungrateful or like Mm. even like as a woman you have to say like a bitch I don't know if I can say that on your podcast you can totally swear (laughs) perfect Uh, so that was a bit challenging I mean one of the first like I remember going to Toronto Fashion Week for the first time and just writing on a blog that I was contributing to at the time a critical review of something and someone who had many more years experience with me in the industry, came up to me and told me I'd never be a fashion writer because of what I had written. And I had probably burned so many connections, and I was always being told by so many people, be careful, Mm -hmm. don't write that, you're gonna ruin your career. And (laughs) I've been on a few PR blacklists as well. Uh, But at the same time, it was that willingness to I think, be authentic, be honest, yes. do something different. It was never about being negative or tearing people down. Yeah, it yeah, it yeah. was trying to report on fashion in a, an honest, more serious sort of way that yeah. just wasn't all, you know, rainbows and unicorns and butterflies. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what uh, drew readers to me, was knowing that they, exactly. I think, trust me, that I had that credibility. Yeah. And... As the years went on, it just became more accepted. I think the more entrenched you become in the quote unquote establishment, then mm-hmm. the more tolerance people have for you sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was not always easy.
0: But I think it makes perfect sense because, and in, especially in fashion, the challenge, and we often talk about, you know, church and state and advertisers, yes. you know, who support publications and, the problem is, we end up seeing the same brands covered over and over again, always in a positive way, and sometimes I find we're not having a smart conversation about what's really going on in the fashion industry, and if we look at Canada specifically, there's challenges for designers, for brands who are based here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to, you know, there, need, there has to be an element of constructive criticism as well, yes. or we're not going to grow as an industry. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: And I think, as you said, readers respect you, you know, for for actually speaking the truth.
1: Yeah, they definitely do. And I think especially, I mean, I have always made a point of supporting young local designers. I love Canadian fashion. And I think that if you're helping creatives, that has to... You have to be open to constructive criticism yeah. it doesn't help anyone to review every single fashion collection and say it's wonderful and amazing and the best thing ever and go buy it exactly because <laughs> readers and potential consumers don't trust yeah. that I, yeah. you're not providing proper feedback for the designers mm-hmm. and again remember with every review or article it's one person's opinion it doesn't Absolutely. mean it's the end all and be all uh so i think that unfortunately sometimes when you do that you're Construed as being negative or mm. trying to take people down. But really, in my view, you're trying to lift people up and make the industry mm. better. Yeah. And I, I do
0: want to ask you as a journalist, and that's always a tough and sensitive question. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your point of view on advertisers' relationship with publications? And yes, there is something to be said about Uh, Print media, you know, it's very difficult to being a media or print. uh, I mean, not not just print, digital also has its challenges. Mm -hmm. It's becoming more and more difficult to find support, to find advertisers to be able to keep the publications alive. And I think increasingly publications have been letting advertisers get more and more involved into, you know, the editorial side of things. And we notice publications who are a little bit more lenient than others as a journalist how do you navigate that line and you know you obviously still want to have a relationship with the brands and the advertisers who support the publication you write for but you want to have you know that uh, that freedom of sharing your opinion and and sharing your real point of view so have you found yourself in a situation where you know that was an issue for you or in general how do you again just navigate that fine line
1: I'm a huge believer in the church and state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, advertisers and brands and editorial should be separate. Uh, I've been very really lucky that the publications I've worked in-house for, including Now Magazine, were big believers in that, where yeah. advertising and sales would literally be on a different floor than mm-hmm. the editorial side. Um, and. That separation is actually something that really drew me to writing for newspapers. Um, Most of my work right now is with the National Post. And when I do freelance other places, it's been with the other newspapers. Um, I find with newspapers, there's still more division between advertisers and editorial. Like I have never once at the National Post, I can say this, been asked to write something in favor of an advertiser or a brand or been asked not to write something about an advertiser or brand mm. um, on the few occasions where I've written for magazines that's not been the case I right. find that advertisers and brands have a much greater influence there yeah um, you can't write the same sorts of stories yeah. yeah and you can't be as authentic which is why um, I've just chosen not to work with them mm-hmm. as much uh, And definitely I've had sticky situations with brands where I've written something that they've been unhappy about. Right. You were I've mentioning gotten, the
0: blacklist that you yes, found yourself I've, on.
1: Yeah. I've been on blacklist for writing things that I, about very real serious issues from labor rights in the industry, especially when and that's there was the fact that in Bangladesh, yeah. um, yeah. I wrote about some of the brands who produced their garments there and they did not like that. Yeah. And I was on their blacklist for years. Uh, I, especially because Toronto is a small scene. Right. People are very quick to yeah. blacklist you, and that can stick for a while. But that didn't bother me, because those weren't the sort of brands I wanted to work with anyways. Right. Yeah, I've had my share of angry calls. Um, but I've always had editors who were willing to back me up, which makes a humongous difference. Yeah, And always, I've just really made it my brand that like if there's a factual error of course i'll change it but i'm not going to change it because you're not happy with it yeah and i think over the years because my brand has been about being authentic and honest and not catering to brand interests Mm -hmm. that most people I work with on that side, whether it's in PR or marketing, understand that now. Yeah. And I don't run into as many issues, actually, as when I was yeah. younger. And maybe they thought that they could push me around a little bit more. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you build a reputation for yourself. Yeah, and, yeah, it's become a bit easier over the years in some ways.
0: Do you think that the public and the brands and, you know, and the PRs would have the same reaction to a male writer holding their grounds
1: in the same way? I definitely think it's probably easier for male writers. As I said earlier, I think as a female, there's always this perception that you're supposed to play nice, even when you're a journalist, and if you write something, a male can write something critical, and it's seen as intelligent, and he's doing his job, and he's one of the good old newspaper boys. And and he must know better. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, he must know what he's talking about as a woman. It's often, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. or you're negative, or you're jealous, or you're trying to take exactly. someone down, yeah. or you have some sort of ulterior motive. And I think that's something that does stick in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. And it is a challenge to overcome that. And it's really unfortunate.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes, you know, smart women journalists to push the envelope and make the change happen, which I think you're you're doing. So that's fantastic. Oh, thank fantastic. you. Um, I want to ask you about social media, which is becoming has become such an important part of our lives. It's how we communicate and there is tremendous pressure for everyone on social media to showcase their best life and to look like they're living a very glamorous life. And how do you and, and as a journalist, you, you know, journalists, editors also use social media as a way of communicating with their audiences. How have you been managing that part of your communication strategy and what? Um, how do you also make sure that you find balance for yourself in the content that you are willing to share on social media?
1: Yeah, my social media journey has been kind of strange. Uh, it's not something that comes naturally to mm. me. I am naturally a very private person. Right. I'm not very impulsive. And I think two traits that help you a lot with social media is having that impulse to put something yes. out there very quickly, <laughs> and obviously not being very private. Uh, but it became clear very early on that'd be important to my job. I mean, journalists, like everyone else now, they're a brand. Yeah. Especially if you're going to freelance, you need that that following that those people who are going to click on your links. Um, it's mm-hmm. really important. Uh, I do think, though, it's it's challenging from a mental health perspective when you're a journalist and a female journalist mm-hmm. for a few reasons. One, um, I think it's pretty well-known. Female journalists deal a lot more with trolls and negative feedback yeah. online and yeah. harassment, so that's definitely something that... Have
0: you faced that yourself?
1: Yeah, on a few occasions. I'm lucky I haven't had as serious situations as... <clears throat> excuse me, I know some journalists who have had stalkers or death threats oh, or okay. rape threats, and yeah. I haven't had anything, so I'm just going to take a sip sure, of water sure. here. I'll go back <laughs> to that. <clears throat> um, I know a few female journalists who have had death threats or rape threats or serious stalkers who are, you know, finding out their home addresses and their phone numbers, and luckily mm-hmm. I've never had anything like that, but I mean, I've certainly had people stalk me online and send, you know, disgusting messages or mm. threatening messages or just be, you know, awful, bullying human beings.
0: Right. Um, How do you deal with that when it happens? Or do you just like ignore block. and block? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I learned
1: very early on, just even from common sections, yeah. uh, never respond because right. these people are they want that's what they want exactly and a lot of the time they're a bit unhinged and you can't argue with crazy yeah (laughs) i mean uh and i learned very young age don't read the comments i mean people more often than not are posting their negative reactions not their positive ones Mm -hmm. uh so i try not to go down that rabbit hole uh But yes, the block button is very, very useful. And then the other issue with social media, like you said, is everyone's only presenting usually the best of their lives. Um, And especially when you're um, covering fields that are very social and, you know, fashion and beauty and there's all these events, it can be easy sometimes, no matter what place you're at in your career to feel jealousy or like you're being left out or you're missing out or you're being slighted and I think it's uh important to try and keep that perspective um I I mean it's really just about trying to keep your head in the right place Mm -hmm. and I think also just uh even limiting time like I find yeah Instagram can be such a black hole I recently started using my iPhone's um You know, where it says, oh, you can have an hour a day and then you have to put in your passcode afterwards. And I found that helps a lot. It just Mm. keeps you more present, Mm -hmm. um, at least for me. And when that time's up, I've been pretty good about then moving on to other things. Mm. And it's nice
0: Mm hmm. Um. what would your advice be for young women and, you know, young women in the media who are trying to build their personal brand and obviously want to be seen, but, you know, who also are probably, you know, they have they don't have the um, um, they haven't built yet the the shell to be able to, uh, you know, Go through that level of criticism, or you know stalkers online, and so on, and also just the the, the challenges with self image that can come from dealing with social media in general. What would your top advice be for young women starting out, specifically I to think social media?
1: Unfortunately, when it comes to dealing with criticism in a way, there's it's a bit baptism by fire. Right, you're not going to develop a thicker skin to it until mm-hmm. you have to go through it. Um, but I think seeking out the support of other female journalists I think that a lot of us are very open to real conversations and Mm. mentorship Uh, that's like if you need help seek help I think Mm. that's something that's very very important I think also when it comes to social media there's such this pressure to put everything about your life out there yeah Um, and it can be very tempting because often the things that are the most vulnerable get the most views or likes at the time yeah but I think it's important to keep Something for yourself, mm. um, because your online life is not your real life, yeah. and everything that you put online stays online forever. Yeah, um, and I think it's it's important to think of what you're putting on social media, especially if it's related to your job, mm. um, as as a brand. Like you said, it, it's uh, you have to see it as one part of you, not all of you. And once you're able to make that distinction a bit more and you start to realize that other people are also making that distinction, that right. what they're putting online is their brand and one aspect of their life, you're not seeing everything. I, I think it makes things a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um was there
0: a point where you, maybe earlier in your career, where you found yourself facing a challenge and you said, that's it, I'm gonna you know, leave writing, this is not for me, I wanna do
1: something different. Did that ever happen? Actually, no.
0: That's great. Uh,
1: <laughs> I absolutely love what I do and mm-hmm. even on the worst days, I, like it sounds so cliche, but I feel so lucky and so blessed to be able to do something I love mm-hmm. and I, I can't imagine doing anything else now
0: so not going back to law anytime.
1: Soon. no no as long as media in canada does not completely collapse i will be yeah. here writing
0: well and actually that was going to be one of my next questions so in this changing media landscape and we know the challenges that you know is specifically print media mm-hmm. is facing what do you think is going to happen what do you think is you know what are the possibilities for media companies in the future
1: mm-hmm I think it's hard for the biggest media companies to turn around and make the changes they need to. They're just not nimble enough. They've been so entrenched in their ways for so many years. So I think that we're going to see more upstart, smaller companies, Mm. um, ones that rely less on advertisers and more on subscriptions. Uh, There are quite a few examples Mm. right now, whether they're print or podcasts that do rely on subscriptions and they're doing quite well. Mm. People are starting to realize that, they have to pay for good content, but not everything is going to come for free. I think in terms of the magazine landscape, that it will become more niche and more luxury Mm -hmm. instead of a magazine being $4, it might be printed a few times a year, but on really beautiful paper. It's, you know, a lot of production has gone into it and that magazine might be $25 now, and it's something that you keep on your coffee table. You just don't chuck it afterwards. Uh, So I think we'll see a lot of evolution that way. I think another thing that's been happening over the last few years is the value of individual journalists have um, started to become more valuable than the newspapers or the brands that Mm. they write for. Uh, People follow individuals and their opinions and their knowledge bases versus an overall brand. So I think you're going to start to see more journalists perhaps experiment with having their own channels or their own projects and, uh, It'll be interesting. I I think in some ways that can lead to more freedom, but also when you don't have that institutional support, that can make you more vulnerable. Mm. So it'll be an interesting journey to watch people go on.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, If you could go back in time, um, you know, 15 years, maybe less, maybe more, is there something you wish you could do differently, something you would change?
1: I have to say no. Uh, I'm one of those people that really believes everything in life happens for a reason Mm -hmm. and every decision leads you onto something else, good or bad, even if at the time it might seem really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, So no, uh, I mean, again, I'm lucky to be quite happy where I am personally and career-wise, so Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd change anything. I love that.
0: (laughs) And if we fast forward 15 years from now, could be more, could be less, Looking back, what's the one thing you'll think you think you'll be the most proud of?
1: I think really trying to stay authentic and trying to be as fearless as possible in my writing. And uh, like I said, it hasn't always been easy. And when I look back now, even I can't believe I read some of the things I wrote when I was in my early twenties. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't even know if I'd write that now. How right. like. How did I do that? How did I stick with that? But at the same time, I'm like, oh, you were gutsy and you were a badass. And that's yeah. awesome. Like, I'm yeah. cheering for myself in the past. Oh, I love that. So I think uh, hopefully, like, just staying on that path and mm. being able to write stories that I'm very passionate about. Uh, and certainly, like, I don't want to say only about stories that are critical, positive stories, too. Yeah. I, I'm so drawn to anything that's a unique perspective that makes people think mm. that, you um, perhaps pushes forward women's issues yeah. or labor issues or any any cultural hot topics and I think just having the ability to discuss those and hopefully make people think differently mm. and not be afraid to uh to make yeah, to make people think or maybe even sometimes offend people or yeah. give well, them challenge pause. them. Right? Challenge people. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. I yeah. think The willingness to challenge people, that's Mm -hmm. what I'll be proud of and that's why I'm proud of. I love that.
0: And do you find that we have enough content today that is challenging the minds of readers? And I think part of, and that was a follow-up question I wanted to ask, but um, we also live in content overload, you know, between everything on social media, everything in digital channels, in addition to existing, you know, print media or TV, whatever it is, we're literally bombarded with contents and not all of it has been vetted through, you know, proper channels. So um, a lot of it is biased, a lot of it now brands produce their own content. If we think of the fashion world, for example, so it's really hard to know the difference. Um, so. Do you think we're still being challenged enough as you know intelligent minds um, on on the reader side or the, the, the content consumer side?
1: He said I think it's a bit ironic that we live in a period where there's more access to content than ever. yeah, but are we necessarily getting good content? I think it's become harder to wade through all the crap to get to the good yeah. stuff yeah. Um, And I think the human brain can only process so much. So you're getting tidbits from everywhere and you might know a lot more about little things Mm. or have opinions on little things, but how well informed are those opinions? Yes. Um, And I I really do think that's a challenge. And I think it's something we as consumers of media and content have to be more conscious of that Mm. every time you click on something, every time you read something, listen to something, you're making a choice, not only in the type of content you're supporting, but in what you're feeding your brain and your thoughts. Yeah. And I, I think it can be very tempting to just you know, go for the lowest hanging fruit. Mm. And, and I think that there, there's an element of personal responsibility that when you live in a Absolutely. society,
0: yeah.
1: you, you uh, try to be well-informed, you try to challenge your brain, you try to become more educated and grow. And I think that's something that uh, we're still on a journey towards.
0: Mm. Mm. I want to ask about your own personal content consumption strategy. So, <laughs> on a, on an average day, what kind? And you you know you obviously have I want to say an added responsibility as a journalist yourself to you know be informed um, you know in, 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 in different fields.
1: You know, but where do you get your content from, basically? So many places. <laughs> I, I think I'm very much of the millennial generation in that I don't subscribe to any one Mm -hmm. magazine or newspaper I get from lots of different places and I really follow what interests me. Uh, I do read a lot of Vanity Fair. I think they do a great job of, as we spoke about before, taking cultural moments and sometimes fashion and society and making it really juicy and interesting and important and looking at it from a different lens. I did have a New York Times subscription, but I'm not so impressed with them lately, and I'm one of the people that canceled it. Really? (laughs) Yes, because I would like for them to stop allowing, you know, sexist white men to uh, (laughs) take over their opinion pages. Uh, I try to read a lot of Canadian media too, uh, and I read across all the newspapers. Mm -hmm. And do you do that, like, on a
0: daily basis? Like, do you actually... I guess you don't you know you probably not physically definitely (laughs) online
1: uh but yeah oh my gosh i can't even tell you how how many articles i read daily Mm. and i'm subscribed to newsletters from the economist and from cnn like i wake up to these newsletters and i'm clicking them i i think because of what i do i just have such a thirst to read Mm. and especially when it's well written and Mm. interesting and from a different perspective and sadly there's not enough time in the day, like I can yeah, read all day right. and write nothing, yeah. and that would be very bad. Uh, so yeah, just I, I think it's about following stories I find interesting more than where necessarily they I see. Come from.
0: Okay, okay. So a variety of sources. Do you ever feel the need to go into content detox? Like if you go on a vacation, are you like turning off, you know, access to news sites, or is it something that you find you need to be getting on a daily basis anyway?
1: I actually do read less news when I'm on vacation. It's funny you mentioned that. And I think some of it is you do need a detox. Mm. I think it can be very overwhelming, especially when, like I care so much about women's issues. Mm. And I care a lot about politics. And there's obviously not a lot of good news in those areas yeah. these days and yeah. it, it can take a toll on your mental health and it can feel very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I have had times where I need to just step back or st- stop reading about a certain topic for a few days mm. or you know when I go away just kind of disconnect. And I think that can be helpful too because then when you come back and reconnect, you have a fresh perspective and sometimes an outsider's view and you see things in a different way than mm-hmm. you might have before.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to ask you about Representation of women journalists in Canadian press, and um, as we know, you know, in in several industries, there's been a, a lot of talk about the changes that need to happen in the business world. You know, the UK passed law, for example, there needs to be uh, equity on on boards for corporations. We didn't do that in Canada. And um, what do you think is the reality? with women journalists having a say, being part of editorial boards, having being able to really write uh, you know, in their own voices and uh, basically impacting the coverage that we do get as Canadian news consumers?
1: We're definitely not where we need to be yet. I mean, if you look at the mastheads of any of the major newspapers, this is no secret. Most of the columnists are older white men. Yeah and part of the challenge that media faces is i think most people are becoming more aware of the need for more diversity in many respects yeah but it's also not an industry that's growing or hiring Mm -hmm. so you end up with the old guard who's on staff Mm. who tends because of the times they are older white men, and you're not hiring a new guard, so you're not having the opportunity to hire women or minorities um, or different perspectives. And that's a real challenge for the industry. And when women and other minorities are hired, it's often on a freelance or contract basis, uh, which is a challenge as well because you don't have the same job security. um, You don't have the same institutional some support sometimes from, uh, your newspaper or magazine, which means that if you're expressing an opinion, um, who knows if they'll support you right. or if you say something that's controversial and you get sued, you might not have the legal backup that you would if you were full-time and right. on staff. Right. If, if you're full-time for any sort of media organization, their legal department will back you up if you get sued for libel, Right. Uh, which it's very easy to get sued for libel in Canada mm-hmm. because we really favor it's interesting in the states if you write something about someone and you were unhappy about what i wrote about you and sued me you would have to prove that what i wrote wasn't true okay but in canada i would have to prove that what i wrote was true interesting and that can I be never very, very difficult. That. And that's part of the reason why, for example, the Rob Ford story got broken right. in the States. is like, right. how do you definitively 100% prove that someone had, like, that it was crack in that pipe, right. <laughs> right. right? And so until something becomes public interest, like, on a large, large scale, a lot of these stories don't get published. I mean, same with the Gomeshi Mm -hmm. Like People were scared of getting sued because, again, how do you definitively prove what happened behind closed doors if this man comes and sues you afterwards? So it it makes it harder for certain stories to uh, be broken. And I think when there's a lot of stories that women and other minorities are in a unique position to tell, Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that they don't have the same sort of resources or support as... Um, someone who's full time,
0: right, in house. So, do you think that has impacted the type of coverage that we get on key issues that affect women, for example? I think or absolutely. Manner, really?
1: I mean, I would think about, for example, even Me Too coverage in Canada. We haven't had a lot of Me Too no. exposes in Canada, and no, that's we not haven't. because it's not happening. Exactly. That I was going to say that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think part of it is the threat of being sued mm-hmm. and libel, and it's something that. As media organizations are more and more concerned about their bottom lines, they don't want to be sued. They don't want to spend the legal fees that maybe they once did. Mm. And I think from the flip side, when it's reporters, when you're your own company or you're freelancing, you don't have the money to go and hire your own lawyer. And you don't know if this publication is going to back you up or throw you under the bus. So I think, unfortunately, it does stop some stories from Mm. coming to light. Mm. Right. Well... And it's a good segue
0: to ask you my next question. What do you wish women would do more of?
1: I think we are becoming better about supporting each other. But at the same time, I see a lot where it, there's bigger talk than there is action sometimes. And I think it's That's very true. nice to talk about supporting each other and empowering each other. But what happens when it becomes inconvenient? Right. That's the question. Yeah. Um, and I think it's... About supporting other women when it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And I think we're not always there yet. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and it is difficult because as women, you know, we're not often paid as much as men. We might not mm. have the same job security. Yeah. We're... Struggling to be viewed in certain ways and get ahead. Yeah. And so it makes it harder sometimes to support one another when mm-hmm. times get hard or when a tricky situation comes up. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, uh, I don't know if we'll see the progress we want to unless we're able to band together mm-hmm. in that way and really be a solid cohort. That's, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. And
0: on a you know, on an average day, what are small actions that you think women can take? to help move the needle?
1: I think when we talk about being online, um, defending other women, mm-hmm. if you see inappropriate comments or harassing behavior, yeah. uh, reaching out to other women, if you see that maybe they're the target of this or it seems like they're having a hard time. yes yeah. even saying, are you OK? Or maybe you're not comfortable sharing something publicly when a DM saying, oh, I had a similar situation. right. Like, let's talk about it. I'm here. Or just, I support you. Um, yeah, I think it's really those little things that mm-hmm. we can do that can make a big difference. And just listening. I think believing. I think trying trying our best to move the conversation forward.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I think
1: that's a very valid point. <laughs> I like that. Um,
0: on a lighter topic, you've interviewed amazing personalities in your um in your career up to this point um even recently we we're just talking about your interview with Victoria Beckham who was in Toronto for an event uh you interviewed Anna Wintour recently um I want to ask about who has been the most interesting or fascinating interview you've done with a woman personality
1: I mean it's hard to be Anna Wintour because she doesn't give many interviews, and it was so. It was so exciting to get a glimpse behind that closed door, and right. I found her very easy to talk to, very intelligent, mm-hmm. very passionate. Uh, and I could have, I wish that I could have spoken to her for two hours at a time. She was wonderful. I think another person that really stands out, who I interviewed earlier in my career, is Daniel Radcliffe. Oh yeah. Who I think it's interesting to see. I, you can really see how being brought up as a child star has helped develop him into who he is mm. and he's always very on and very ready to go and very aware of the media but then at the same time he's just fun and like mm. able perhaps because he's been in it so long willing to be a bit vulnerable in the way that other mm. stars aren't willing to so right yeah i loved him he was great yeah, i loved that
0: who is your dream interview
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: And maybe there's more than one name?
1: I mean, I think major political figures like Obama would be Mm. really, really interesting to interview. I think even like Vladimir Putin would be interesting to interview. I mean, people who have such... An effect on the world stage and have so much influence yeah um also like the tech giants like a mark zuckerberg mm-hmm. again because they're just changing the world so much mm-hmm. and have so much influence uh, from like a more personal pers- perspective, uh, Joan Didion's my favorite yes, writer. Yeah. And I mean, I would love to be in a room with her and just mm-hmm. have a conversation.
0: I would love to read that interview, <laughs> but also the one way routine that would be super
1: interesting. Yeah. I'm just picturing <laughs> him like shirtless on a horse giving the interview. Yeah, exactly. So I think it would be fascinating. Absolutely
0: fascinating. Mm. Um, you're obviously you lead a busy lifestyle and you cover events as well for and the national post so you're out and about quite a bit and then between the writing and and keeping up with content as we discussed we've talked about content detox social media detox Um, how do you ensure you stay grounded on a daily basis what are the the tricks or or tips or the things that you need to do to feel like you're Mm -hmm. keeping it together
1: I think surrounding yourself with good, honest people and people who are also outside of what you do for Mm. work is really important. Um, My partner, he's in software development and not at all of the fashion society, (laughs) journalism world. Uh, When I told him I was interviewing Anna Wintour... He actually said who's that oh my god <laughs> he had no idea who she was and i was like babe no it's so exciting he's like i don't think she's as famous as you think she is so yeah. you're like no no she's a big deal <laughs> trust like, me i'm calling my mother <laughs> she'll know uh and i think that helps ground you though when you have yeah. someone from a very different perspective that things that you think might be the most important thing in the world yeah. or someone you think might be the biggest deal in the world you realize they're not to everyone mm-hmm. or that situation might not be as important as you think it is. Mm-hmm. And uh friends that, you know, are honest and real and not just going to tell you what you want to hear mm-hmm. or say yes to you. They, they will tell you if you're being crazy or moody or making the wrong decision or you not seeing things clearly. And I think, that's really helpful. The people you surround yourself with uh, mm. make a huge difference mm-hmm. and making time for yourself as well. Right. That's something um, I think we all tend to feel guilty about. We put so much value these days on being busy and go, go, go. And certainly that's important, but at the same time, I think it's just as important to spend time alone in a room mm. or watch your guilty pleasure on Netflix. Yes or read a book or spend time with your cats. And uh, it's an Mm -hmm. ongoing journey for myself too to remember to carve out that personal time. And I notice such a difference when I do. Mm
0: -hmm. What's next for you, Sabrina?
1: I I mean, as a writer, I want to grow my audience. Mm -hmm. I think it's always thinking about writing perhaps for audiences in other countries. I'd like to expand more to the United States uh especially I mean there's just simply more people in the United States and the publications have bigger readerships. Yeah, so yeah. that's a goal. I think uh being essentially owning my own business in mm. this world as a freelancer. Um well you're so, very much an entrepreneur as a yes, freelancer. Yeah, and that's I, I'm seeing it that way more and more. Uh just expanding what I do. I mean I do some television, um I'm doing a little bit of event hosting, mm-hmm. um it's just discovering different ways that I can take elements of my job that I love and transition them into different mediums, yeah. um, it's good for job security, but yes. it also keeps things interesting. Yeah. I, I really do believe that we always need to evolve in our lives mm-hmm. and careers, and I don't like to be stagnant for very long. I get bored easily, so mm-hmm. I'm o- I am always looking, what's next? What can I do?
0: Well, wishing you the best of luck with all future projects and can't wait to read upcoming interviews who knows there might be a shirtless poutine or one who only hope <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for speaking to me today
1: thanks for having me my pleasure
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode as always if you like the show don't forget to rate review and subscribe it's a great way to show your support for the Brennan's female and I'm very thankful I'll be back in about a week with a new guest on the show thank you so much for listening